Fox soldiers got done with them, and there wasn't a... Don't you dare laugh. There wasn't enough left of those poor men to fill a slop pail. Understand, when we lay our heads down out here, we're all prisoners. I hate them. I got a war bag of reasons to hate them. What's going on, y'all? That was an amazing scene from the movie Hostels featuring one of my favorite actors, Christian Bale, okay? He plays a cavalry officer, a captain in the United States Army Cavalry, and he's an Indian fighter. He spent his entire career on the frontier fighting the natives, okay? And what he's talking about in that clip is just the brutality of Indian warfare, and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how the Comanche were able to master the horse, right? And also how that translated into their dominance both against native other native tribes like the Kiowa, like the Ute, okay, like the Blackfoot, and also against settlers and frontiersmen in the US, in the US Army, okay? Because it wasn't just um you know, fighting among the natives, right? It was also pushing back the settlers. It was also um, pushing back against, later, much later than the scope of this episode. They were fighting against the United States Cavalry in quotes, right? Because they weren't quite a real cavalry unit as we kind of think of cavalry, all right? They weren't like the natives, okay? They were, it was a mismatch. <laughs> it was like David versus Goliath, okay? On the frontier for the first probably 100 years. All right, so sit back and relax. We're going to talk about the brutality of Indian war bear. It's going to be lit. God bless y'all. Ape. All right, all right, all right, guys. We are back. Another episode of the Great Ape Academy podcast. Ape stands for Act, Protect, Engage. I am your host with the most, Mr. Chase H. I am the CEO of the company. Um, I am also the resident historian. <laughs> um, so... First things first, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. We got two sponsors. We have uh, USCCA, United States Concealed Carry Association, the number one concealed carry association on the planet, definitely in the United States. Please join up today. Join up after this podcast, okay? Um, also, Bravo Concealment Holsters, at Bravo Concealment on Instagram. 
BravoConcealment.com on the World Wide Web. They sell some of the best inside the waistband holsters, outside the waistband holsters, and they also sell tactical pouches, tactical belts, all type of high-speed gear for high-speed individuals. Check them out today. Use our code APE10, A-P-E-10, at checkout to get 10% off. Thank you for joining me today. All right, so today's episode is entitled The Brutality of Indian Warfare. Indian Warfare, all right? Woo! Man, what a cool subject. <laughs> what a freaking cool subject, man. Um, as, um, uh, as a person who has some native ancestry and who spent a lot of uh, his youth going to powwows and, and and really just being mesmerized by the culture of, of our people. Um, I really find it to be an honor to do some of these podcasts. Um, and, you know, we started off doing the warrior series, right? We started off uh, talking about gladiators. Then we moved to Knights Templar. Then we moved, since it became Indigenous Peoples Month in November, we did the Aztecs, right? We did, what, three episodes, four episodes on the Aztecs, something like that? And now we're doing Tribes of North America, okay? I know it's December, so technically, by whoever made this month up, right? Indigenous Peoples Month, Native American Month is over. History Month is over, but it's never over because Native Americans are Americans. And uh, whether certain people like it or not, they were here before anyone else. So what we're going to do is we're going to take our time and we're going to go through this stuff. If this uh, isn't for you, I got more podcasts coming. Really cool ones. We're going to be talking about the Texas Rangers, right? Not the baseball team, the hardcore Indian fighters, okay? We're going to be talking about a lot of cool stuff. The gunfighters of the Old West, Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp. We're going to be talking about just all type of cool figures in history. We're also going to be talking about uh, different Second Amendment topics. Once again, we're going to circle back. So just stay with me, man. My mind is crazy. It's like a, it's like an old attic with all this stuff in it. So just, <laughs> just bear with me, guys. I promise you, I will take you on this journey with us. I'm not going to leave you behind. Okay, so what do we, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about. The Comanche Empire. Well, really, we've been talking about the Great Pla- the the Great Plains, and what it was, and what life was like on the Great Plains. We also talked about in the last episode. We talked about the horse, like we talked about life for the Native Americans before the horse, and we're talking about the Native Americans on the plains. So I want to make this clear, okay? Basically, we're talking about. In general, okay, there's pretty much like two main gigantic groups of Native Americans, right? You got the Eastern tribes and you got the tribes that are west of the Mississippi. Okay, now the Eastern tribes, we're talking about huge, well-known tribes, the Cherokee, the Iroquois, the, uh, the Seminoles, okay, really big, really well-known tribes. 
And west of the Mississippi, we're talking names like what we've been discussing, the Comanche, Blackfoot, Sioux, Cheyenne, Apache, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, it goes on and on and on. Okay, Kiowa, Ute. I chose the Comanche because I believe that they are the most dominant tribe of all time. As far as dominant, when I say dominant, what I mean is wealth. What I mean is they actually were able to throw back the settlers. Most of the other tribes kind of fought a fruitless, uh, inevitable war, you know, inevitable retreat, right? They were fighting hard and they were resisting, but it was just inevitable. It was a matter of time. The Comanche had their own empire. Literally, they owned the land. They didn't own it in the Western sense of private property, but they owned, they dominated, they dominated it so thoroughly that it was theirs, right? If you went into Comanche country, you didn't come out if you weren't a Comanche unless they let you. For 100 years, it was like that. They defeated the Spanish. They gave the settlers all type of problems. The, the, the first settlers in Texas and west of the Mississippi in their area, right? The Arkansas River Valley, parts of Oklahoma, west of San Antonio, okay? That's where the Comanches were. Parts of New Mexico, okay? Um, the really, really wild frontier. Wild. Crazy. You were a nutbag. You were you were crazy as a bat if you wanted to live out there with your family. Because it was so freaking dangerous, man. Like, it was like, it's like, this, okay, so I'm trying to think of something that would be as dangerous for us now in America. Hmm. I'm not sure what would be even closer to dangerous. I really don't. There's nothing quite like it. And because you have to understand that the settlers who came out here when uh, Texas won its independence from Mexico and they wanted to attract white settlers from the east from the east coast, those people had balls the size of freaking watermelons. Okay, because there was nothing out there. It's not like it is now where there's police patrolling, you can call somebody and they'll come help you. 911 will come and pick you up. No one's coming. No one even knows where you are. You don't know where you are. The only people who know where you are are the native tribes that freaking hate you. And if they get at you, if they capture you, they're going to torture you and kill you in that order. So it was really, really um, quite a courageous thing to be out there. Okay, So I want to talk a little bit about the type of warfare, the type of brutality um, that kind of... Uh, you know, marked the frontier as a very, very bloody and dangerous place. And um, I'm going to do that with a few sources, actually just one source today, one main source, and that's my favorite book about Native Americans, S.C. Gwen's Empire of the Summer Moon. We also use um, Encyclopedia Britannica here and there, but it was mostly his work, okay? So that's my work cited. Um, I'll put a link in the description to his information, okay, guys? All right. So, this episode is entitled The Brutality of Indian Warfare. What is good and what is evil? Okay. Ooh, interesting. All right, so let me know, guys. Do you guys like the music in the background or or without it? I, I kind of like it both. But for me, for or a podcaster, the needing to think and needing to get my words together, I, can, I find that a lot soothing to hear the silence so I can really articulate my words you guys let me know 
DM me, message me, hit me up, guys. You can also message me on Podbean. Like, they have a little messenger uh, option. So if you guys have any feedback, please do that. Also, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Podbean, obviously. Um, So please rate, subscribe, and review. We really appreciate it. We... I really want to make now. This was kind of like a side project, something for fun. But now that I like it so much, I want us to be in the top 100, man. I really want us to be a podcast that people enjoy. So just let me know how we're doing. I'll appreciate. I'll definitely appreciate it. Trust me. Okay. The uh, the brutality of Indian warfare. Okay. So we talked about the horse last time. So the horse changed everything. Horse technology changed everything. All right, it's like the car, right? It had almost, it probably had more impact than the invention of the car, the adoption of the horse. Because before that, people in the Great Plains area, right? We're talking the plains of Canada, Canada, like I said last time, from Alberta down through Texas into Oklahoma, okay? So the Great Plains was a massive area, and it stops at the Rockies. So the, the borders are the Rocky Mountains to the west, the Mississippi to the east, Okay, then up north, uh, Alberta, and down south, New Mexico. So that's the Great Plains, okay? That's a freaking massive area, okay? So we talked about how the horse changed life for everyone there. Um, Some tribes adopted the horse better than others. Um, Some tribes didn't really... All Plains tribes adopted the horse, but some better than others, and none better than the Comanche, okay? Tribes like the Apache, right? The most probably the most popular tribe in, in American culture are the Apaches, you know, uh, Geronimo and all those guys. They loved well, they didn't love horses. They, they loved fighting, right? But they didn't really fight from horseback. If uh, if you see a movie with uh, quote unquote Apaches fighting from horseback, that's not historically accurate. All right, they really only use horses to transport them to the battle. And then they would get off and fight. And then they would eat the horses. So the only horses that they had were the horses they used to ride around on. <laughs> they didn't actually fight from it. The Comanches, the Kiowas, they fought from horseback. All right. Um, but the things that the Plains tribes were doing before the horse, they still did. So the Plains tribes were buffalo hunters. That's, that's what they live off of. They, they were nomadic. So they moved with the buffalo. Um, and, you know, you think of the buffalo as that huge, you know, shaggy beast with those horns and that big old head. And they're like, you know, 800 pounds. Yes, they, that's exactly what they were like also back then. But guess what? They're as numerous as the stars. I mean, you couldn't, the number of buffalo, we're talking like 400 million buffalo. I think, was it 400? It was just mad. There were more buffalo than people. No, I think it was 40 million buffalo. 40 million buffalo, not 400, it's ridiculous. 40 million buffalo, more numerous, there are more buffalo than people for sure. I mean, that's by, by a lot. But when we think back on the bison and the buffalo, we're like, man, they got exterminated. And guess who exterminated them? <laughs> the white settlers came with their guns and pretty much wiped out the uh, herds of buffalo. But before that, the natives, their life centered around the buffalo, okay? So what they would do, they were nomadic. And they would follow the buffalo from place to place to place. Before the horse, it really kind of sucked, right? It sucked balls because they had to, like, walk everywhere. And they used their... 
just imagine like you using your household dogs, like your household pets to like drag your stuff. Like that's what they did. They had dogs. They would strap two poles to a dog and they would put all their, uh, all their heavy stuff on the dog. The dog would pull it. <laughs> well, more like drag it, drag it. And then they would take their teepees, roll them up, put them under their, you know, under their armpits and just walk and follow the bison. Okay. And how they would hunt the bison was they would like stampede them, right? They would light the planes on fire. So the bison would get spooked and just freak out and start running. And cause they're not, they're not super smart, right? They're, they're pretty dumb animals to be honest. And so they, as soon as they got spooked, they're like, Oh crap, we gotta get out of here. And th what they would do was the, the natives had uh predetermined like kill pits. They had these pits that they would, they would stampede the Vikings in or the Vikings, God, the bison into, right? Or they would stampede them off of cliffs and they would fall to their death. And bison, a bison can, could, could feed a family for, I mean, a month. And they made everything from bison. Um, they traded. That's what they did. It, it, it was an essential, really uh, life-saving item because they provided warmth. Their coats provided warmth in the winter. Their hides provided uh, their teepee material. They sold their their, their horns. They, they ate their entire body except for their heart. Uh, and they would trade buffalo hide. And the women would do all the hard work. Like, literally, like, the women did everything. Only thing the men did was fart, gamble, hunt, <laughs> and ride around playing slap ASS. I can't curse because I have a clean rating on, on uh, what's it called, on Apple. But they would just do goof off all day and do cool stuff. And the women would do all the hard work. <sighs> Man, this sucked back. Like, just living back then like that lifestyle for for a lady sorry ladies it really was not a great life but at least you, you know you had a tight-knit tribe and you pretty much were free you know right there's no one oppressing the natives back then before the um the settlement from the east came right so no one really knows when the comanche bands in eastern wyoming encountered the horse no one really knows there's no set date so there's no, there's no historian that can say, this is the date, at, you know, in, in 1689 is when the Comanches saw their their first horse. No one really knows, right? Um, but despite that, the Comanches are, are considered the prototypical horse tribe. No one could outride them and no one could outshoot them. It just didn't happen. There are no better, better horsemen than the Comanche period okay and that's amazing because they never they were late to the game they were super late to the game all right so let me a quick story this is a rant but there's an eagles player a player on the philadelphia eagles named uh, jordan Malata, and he's an offensive lineman he's a he's a left guard which is a really hard position the eagles drafted jordan he literally never played football in his in, uh, in his entire freaking life Jordan Malata never played football. He gets drafted by an NFL team. He was a rugby player, a famous rugby player overseas. He wasn't even that big, right? Now he's 6'9", 380 pounds, and he's one of the best offensive linemen in the league. That transformation is stunning. Same thing happened with the Comanche. They never had horses. Remember last, the last podcast I said they were kind of short, ugly, awkward not very fast not very strong not very smart but 
the horse made them masters of the plains. They dominated the plains. It made them wealthy beyond imagination, and it made them brilliant. They, 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 it's like the horse made them like Einstein. <laughs> it's insane, right? The only other tribe that fought primarily from horseback uh, were the uh, Kiowas, right? The Pawnees, the Crows, even the, even the, the Dakotas, they use horses mainly for transportation, like I said earlier with the Apaches. Only in the movies did the Apache fight on horseback. Only in the freaking movies. Never happened in real life. The Comanches were also the only tribe to learn how to breed horses. So there's a difference between like just buying a horse and being a really good rider and like knowing how to like, you know, groom it and feed it. And clean it, you know, you know, clean its coat and all that stuff. But there's a totally different skill to learn how to breed horses. They actually reproduce them. Comanche had had horses, had herds that were like as far as I could see, because they were masters at breeding. Masters. Breeding horses is an intensely demanding, knowledge-based skill, and it helped create massive wealth for the tribe. By producing, like I just said, huge herds of horses. Massive. Like, limitless. Okay? And that's because they were so good at what they did. Because, guess what? On, on the frontier, horses were currency. If you didn't have a horse and you lived on the frontier, you're as good as dead. Once the horse came and once the plains tribes adopted the horse, the settlers, if you were, like, for instance, a really common tactic of plains tribes especially the comanche when they were fighting um settlers like whether it be the span colonials whether it be the spanish colonials and whether it be the white settlers from the east okay or the u.s army a favored tactic would be you know what we're not even gonna fight them right the comanche would just they would just let them kind of ride around aimlessly looking for them they knew where they were right that's their home so, you know, they were, we're not even fighting them. They're not even worth fighting. What we're going to do is we're going to wait. So the Comanche would retreat. They would look around. They would they would follow them, right? They would shadow shadow the force that's going out to find them, right? The settlers or the, or the Spaniards. Once they camped for the night, right? Once the Spaniards or the white settlers, they camped for the night. Rather than just killing them and attacking them, they would just run their horses off, right? They would, they would do a raid under what they called the Comanche moon, right? And if you guys ever heard, look it up, Google Comanche Moon, right? It's a really common song for country, uh, uh, common song in country music. It's all, uh, it's the name of a few really, really good country albums. The Comanche Moon is pretty much the full moon, right? So the Comanche would raid, they would attack people at night. They were notorious for attacking at night. And they would fight by the light of the full moon. So what they would do is they would pick a, uh, a full moon, a night with a full moon, they would just all they would do was ride up and and scare off, chase off all the horses, or or steal all the horses while the people were sleeping. And in the ruckus, people are confused. People are running around, shooting in the air. All the horses run off. Guess what? The Spaniards, the U.S. Army, the white settlers—they're as good as dead because they have no horses, and they're in the middle of Comanche country, and they don't know where the water is. They don't know where shelter is, and they have no way to get around. And the Comanche just let them, just let them die. They left them to die out there. Why even fight them? Why risk one of our one of our Comanche braves getting hurt or or killed when we can just run off their horses? So 
that's how important the horse was back then on the frontier. Long side story, but I think it's a pretty good one. It was not uncommon for a Comanche warrior to have 100 to 200 mounts and for a chief to have over 1,500 mounts. But like I said, it was a sign of wealth. Colonel Richard Dodge, he was a U.S. Army colonel, and he, did a, he traded with the Comanches a lot, and he also kind of visited them from time to time to talk to some of their leaders. He believed that the Comanche were the finest light cavalry in the entire world. American observers were dumbfounded when they visited the Comanches. They couldn't believe what they saw. Quote from S.C. Gwen's book, Empire of the Summer Moon. This is a direct quote. On their feet, they are one of the most unattractive and slovenly looking races of Indians. <laughs> Sorry for the racism. I have ever seen. But the moment they mount their horses, they seem at once metamorphosized. Right? Completely changed. Amazing. A Comanche warrior could, could shoot 20 arrows in the time it took a soldier to load and fire one round from a musket. <laughs> what? Just imagine, like, what our modern day... See you had, say you had, like, an old an old as crap musket from, like, your great-great-great-granddaddy, and you were, like, trying to, like, defend your home against a home invader, and you're like, stop, hear ye, stop, thou must stop, and you're like, pow, and you miss, and you're like, hold on, you gotta get, like, your powder... And like put it back in and stuff like your wad in it. Meanwhile, the other dudes have like Dracos and they're just like pop, 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 pop. That's kind of what it was like. Like, like the Comanche, although they were arrows and they weren't they weren't lead bullets, they could shoot way more way more accurately and way quicker than most settlers. Because in those days, we're talking so we're talking the 1700s into the early 1800s. There wasn't a five shot pistol yet. Okay, the Colt. Peacemaker was had not been invented by Samuel Colt uh, yet, and also the repeating rifle had not been invented yet either. We know it as the lever action rifle. You know the the rifle in all the Western movies that wasn't a thing yet. So the Comanches still had the upper hand. They could shoot arrows faster than the uh, settlers can Blue shoot their disconnected. Can Blue set connected. their uh, can set can shoot their uh, Kentucky long rifles. Okay, which is pretty interesting. Um, what else we got? Hmm. These arrows, like each arrow could kill a grown man at 30 yards. 30 yards. Okay, so you ever been to a shooting range, right? So most times people shoot at like the seven yard line. They shoot at the 10 yard line, maybe the 20. Like that's like 20 yard line is kind of, for me, it's mm, shaky to practice from there because it's not really self-defense range, and you want to want you you don't want to train bad habits. But just imagine shooting an arrow from longer than any modern handgun range has. You're shooting an arrow, a bow and arrow from a horse. You're not, the Comanche didn't fight stationary; they fought moving while on a horse. So just imagine running at full speed and shooting a pistol at a target from thirty yards. Not gonna happen. Okay. Ah, let's see. Uh, observers were amazed at the Comanche's ability to break horses. So breaking horses means pretty much like training, like potty training them, like breaking them. Like they're no longer wild because if you don't break a horse, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to be wild. They're not going to let you ride it. You know what I mean? 
They're not going to let you feed it. So you have to break them. There's, there, there's a process. Okay. Everyone, anyone who knows anything about horses knows what I'm talking about. Quote, a Comanche would lasso a wild horse, then tighten the noose, choking the horse and driving it to the ground. When it seemed as if the horse was nearly dead, the choking lariat was slacked. Right. So right. They took him right to the verge of death. <laughs> and then it was like, all right, you're good. And the horse was like, holy crap. Like, I'm not I'm, I'm going to listen to you. I promise I'll listen to you. Please don't choke me again. So like it's a this a really really interesting. It's so cool to learn about this because like how did they learn this? Like they they they're so it, it, the horse just fit with them so naturally. It was amazing. The Comanches as it turned out, they were geniuses at anything to do with horses. Breeding, breaking, selling and riding them. So, get check this out guys. Get this. Children were given their first horse at 4 or 5. The boys were expected to learn tricks early, including picking up objects at full gallop, right? The boys, the girls didn't get horse. The boys would start with light objects, right? So they would start, you know, at full gallop. And we're talking, when I mean full gallop, that means like the horse is running full speed. Like just say if you're in a car, press your, press your foot on the gas all the way and keep it there. That's full gallop. So the, the kids... When they're really little, they're expected to ride at full gallop and pick up objects from the ground, like rocks, moccasins, whatever, like small light light objects. They would have to locate it, you know, locate it while they're riding, scoop down and pick it up, right? Then they would move on to heavier objects. So they would start light, go heavy. The final test was picking up a grown man. They're children. At... at <laughs> That's incredible at full gallop, all right? The exercise simulated rescuing a, a wounded or stranded Comanche warrior during combat. One of the most important obligations for Comanche brave was to rescue a comrade in danger. They were not gonna leave their, their, their fellow warriors on the battlefield, not gonna happen. So they had to learn how to rescue them at full gallop because remember, they always fought from horseback they did not get off their horses for any reason none they fought they were a, comp a completely cavalry force which meant that they were mostly raiders all right they weren't like they're not going to do a stand-up pitched battle that's not what they do all right they do quick strike raids right they do charges right they'll surround you and attack a, a, a fort or a town okay but they're not going to march into battle in formation not going to happen, okay? Uh, let's see. Women would ride as well. And they rode just as well as men did. Women had their own mounts. So when you were a girl, you didn't get a mount. But as you got older, right, your, your mother, your father would teach you how to ride. And you also learned from the men from just watching and observing. Women uh, would ride as well as men. They had their own mounts as well as mules and gentle horses for packing and transporting. So basically, they would pack everything. They would transport all the 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 uh, bands, you know, uh, shelter, supplies, food. They would pack it all on the mules and horses, and they would be the ones that would make sure the food and the shelter got to their next destination. Okay, that was their responsibility. Comanches were also experts at capturing wild horses, okay? 
So what they would do was they would locate a huge herd of wild Mustangs, and there were a lot of them in the Southwest. Remember how I told you last time that the Spanish came and, they, and there was a, Pe a Pueblo revolt and 700, uh, 700 horses, hundreds and hundreds, at least seven we know of, 700, escaped into the wild, right? And no one was taking care of them. And then they would mass produce and reproduce. So the Comanche would find these these big uh, herds of Mustangs and they would chase the Mustang for days. They would just chase them, right? Just stampede them, chase them, um, chase after them until they're exhausted, right? Which made them really easy to capture once they were tired. Then, or, uh, well, not then, or the Comanche would wait by watering holes, right? If they couldn't catch them initially, what they would do was they would just wait where there weren't that many bodies of water out in the plains. There was very, very little water. So the Comanches knew where all the water holes were. So what they would do is they would wait. They would wait next to the watering hole. And then they would um, watch the uh, horses, the Mustangs, drink as much as they could. Right? They would drink as much as they could, make themselves fat. And then they were fat and lazy and they couldn't run away because they were, they were so thirsty from being chased that day they were like, you know what, just captured me, bro. Like, I'm good. I'm done. You got me. <laughs> it was pretty wild. Um, I didn't know that. I learned a lot doing this podcast. Okay, so Comanches had a very limited vocabulary for describing most things, right? Pretty much they didn't have a really complex vocabulary. They only had basic words. Not saying they were stupid because they were not by any means, but meaning that, you know, English has like 20 words to describe one thing. They didn't have that, right? But for some reason, with horses, they had a million different words to describe different colors, different different looks, different types of horses. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, you know what one thing they loved also? Is gambling. Other than horses, they loved gambling. There's a story that I read in the book. I'm not going to quote it because it's a long quote. But there was an old, fat Comanche. <laughs> so the Comanche would trade. <laughs> They would trade back and forth uh, with the settlers and with some of the uh, the the U.S. Army troops and the Spanish troops. And there was a, a there was a story where they went to a, a U.S. outpost and they were trying to trade. And this fact and and they came with all their goods and they had these these raggedy looking ponies. And the army officers had heard about how good the Comanches were on horses, racing horses. That was one of their pastimes was racing horses. So the U.S. Army officers were like, we have the fastest horses on the frontier. And they're like, the commander like, okay, sure. And the, the officers challenged them to a race, right? And they, they were like, commander was like, all right, any one of us, any one of you guys can, any one of us can beat you. And so the fattest Comanche volunteered. He was the fattest one, and he was on a little raggedy horse, like a tiny little horse, right? So the officer was like, you know what, man, we're going to give him like their our fourth best horse, right? This would be easy. So they bet all their like goods that they brought. They bet them that if they lost, the Comanche lost, they would give them all their goods. And if the army lost, they would give them their horses. Right? So the first race, it was, it, man, the, the, the Comanche took off like a bat out of hell. And the officers were amazed. Like, what in the f This fat, ugly Comanche on the smallest horse they've ever seen beat them and they're like all right all right cool cool that was our slow horse 
This is our second fastest horse, man. He ain't going to beat us. The Comanche beat them again. And they're like, yo, we ain't going down like that. Our finest stallion. We're bringing our finest stallion. This fat little man on this little tiny raggedy looking horse is not going to beat us. That Comanche took off, dude. He took off on him. He was so far ahead. He turned around in the saddle while he was riding and made obscene gestures <laughs> to the army officers as he crossed the finish line. The Comanche took all their horses and went and went on their way, man. I just thought that was a really funny, kind of cool, uh, interesting story. Like, cause it's like the Comanche, they loved mischief. They loved gambling. They loved games of any kind. If if they could bet on anything, they would. And you know, obviously the commodities were horses, buffalo skin, stuff like that. You know, uh, iron. You know, pots, knives, stuff like that. They would uh, trade. So I thought that was a really cool story. Okay, so by the late 1600s, the Comanche's mastery of the horse led them to migrate south from Wyoming into the milder climates. What they really wanted to do, they wanted to challenge the other tribes for supremacy over the rich buffalo hunting grounds. There was, man, buffalo were everywhere, okay? You ever seen, you ever been to like a Walmart at like dusk, like around like 536, right when it's getting dark in the summer? You ever seen all those like, freaking hordes of like birds like these little black birds that like fill the sky and they're all over the parking lot they're all over the cars the entire plains was full of buffalo like just imagine herds of buffalo as as far as i could see that's what the what the uh, planes were like <laughs> a walmart parking lot full of buffalo just like those birds same thing okay so many too many so the commanders were challenging for dominance of those herds, okay? And they had to fight other Indians to do that. Um, they first appeared in written history, actually recorded history in 1706, when a Spanish, a Spanish, Spanish sergeant major reported that the Comanches, with the help of their Ute allies, were preparing to attack the local Indians, okay? The, the Mexicans actually named them Comanche because it was based on the Ute word, Comats. So the Utes gave them a name, the Comanche name, called Comats. And that meant, in their language, anyone who is against me all the time. And Comats eventually turned into Comanche in Spanish. So, fun fact, y'all. All right. So, we're starting the warfare part. Stick with me, guys. Thank you for joining me. I love you. We're going to play a quick music or interlude, and we will freaking be back. I'm going to play the uh, Apache War Dance. Ape.
are back. Welcome back, guys. Just a quick, like, 15, 20 second break. Let me hear it out a little bit. That's my favorite part. That's why I wanted to wait for it was the uh, drums. Thank you, thank you. We are back, guys. We are back. We are back. All right, quick break. Get my notes together. This is the really, really cool part. Um, You know, as a historian, right, as a future master's student in history, I want to get a PhD also and teach. Um... I'm not going to just throw you guys into a subject, okay? I'm going to explain the backdrop. I'm going to explain the history. I want to get a thorough, I want to give you guys, I should say, not get. I want to give you guys a thorough picture, a total picture of what it was like then. I want to transport you for an hour, hour 15, hour 30 from wherever you are, your room, your shower, your car, and be part of the Comanche tribe. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to do. So if I'm ramble, if I'm a little bit long-winded, it's all because I'm trying to uh, get us on the right track, get our minds moving, get kind of uh, transport us there, okay? Um, and right now, okay, so we're, right now we're, we're just talking about the Comanche in general, right? We're, we're in the 18th century, okay? So the Comanche uh, came into contact with horses late 17th. They were first recorded into written history early 18th. So we're talking 1706. So now we're talking like, okay, the Comanche have horses now. So we're talking 1700s, okay? So this is this is where we're at right now. I'm just giving you guys like a time frame. I, I'm not going to have you guys floating out in in the, in the uh, you know, what's it called? The parallel universe? What's, what's that? In the Matrix, I don't know. In the Matrix somewhere, not know what, what dates we're working with. We're working right now. Into the seven, into the seventeen uh, hundreds, okay, mid seventeen hundreds. So, the Comanche have been killing it, just kicking butt, taking names, killing buffalo, all right, dominating local tribes, okay. So this is what we're gonna talk about. We're talking about morality, okay, good versus evil. Let's set our moral judgments aside for this portion of the podcast, okay. Now. Viewer, uh, view, <laughs> viewer discretion advised. You ever seen those shows when you're young and you're like watching them with your parents and you're like, oh, let's really, oh, this movie's so cool, mom. And the first thing they said was viewer discretion advised. And your mom looked at you like, really? And they're like, you can't watch it. He's like, no. Listener, <laughs> listener discretion advised, okay? Uh, some of this stuff is going to be hard to hear. So if you're kind of squirmish, you know, kind of squeamish, squirmish, kind of squeamish, or, you know, you don't really want to hear about stuff like this, about the natives, skip this part, okay, but I'm a historian, and I speak about reality, okay, and first things first, I want to dispel the popular characterization, characterization of the Native American, the popular stereotype as this peaceful, meek, beautiful, right? Beautiful culture connected to the earth and harmony and kind of like the noble savage 
that uh, didn't really want to fight but had no choice? No. The natives were warlike people. They were all about war, especially the Comanche. Remember, I said last podcast, the Comanche culture, if you could think of it as a Christmas tree with no ornaments, no lights and no ornaments, only thing the Comanche cared about was warfare and buffalo. That's it. Okay. Um, they wanted to get gain wealth to get more horses, to kill more buffalo, to gain more wealth. <laughs> they were the ultimate capitalists, if you can think about it that way. Like people say, oh, the natives were like earth people, and they're like everything was like a community. they were, people kind of stereotype natives as being kind of like the hippies of the sixties and seventies. Like, yeah, it was okay, man. Be one with the earth. You know, there's no property. Everyone loves everyone. And not, I hated each other. And they wanted to own the Buffalo hunting grounds. Like, they they did believe in personal property. Like, it's their property. Like, those horses are theirs. If you try to attack their horses, they're going to scalp you. That's going to happen. Okay? And what they did was they attacked settlers and they took their horses and scalped them. Because they wanted their stuff. They wanted to burn all their stuff down. They would burn the homes. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's it's rough to talk about, but I want to be real. Okay. Excuse me. Comanche did not share our our modern notions of morality, respect for human life, or good and evil. That was like, they could not understand that. They just didn't get it. And it doesn't make them bad people. They weren't monsters. They weren't animals. They didn't share our cultural norms. They, they, I mean, they had no idea what we were talking about. We were talking about good versus evil. I'm not talking about natives in general. I'm talking about the Comanche. Okay. If you were captured by Comanches, you were either killed outright, right, in the most brutal way possible. If you weren't killed instantly, and you were cat, you were tortured. Okay, or you became a slave. If you were very, very lucky, you might be integrated into the tribe, which was very rare because the Comanche birth rate was really low. The women, they had really fertility problems. In a lot of the Native American tribes had fertility problems, but especially the Comanche, because of their hard life and their very limited diet, it was hard for them to reproduce. And so they never had really big numbers. Um, so sometimes if they really, if a certain band really needed more people they would they, they would look for you know kids they would they would capture kids between ages of like eight and like 13 and incorporate them into their tribe and kind of adopt them as full members um but that wasn't super common uh, well it was common but it you were lucky if you if you weren't just killed outright you know what i mean um comanches often gang raped women and murdered infants and I'm sorry, ladies. I, you know, I don't want to be insulting. Um, I don't want to be insensitive. But I mean, that's that's just the the nature of the plane. That that, and it's not excusing it. You know, it was brutality is in its finest for us, right? As Westerners, with 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 moral codes and right and wrong and good and evil, it it makes sense to to, to be disgusted by that. I mean, they killed babies. It's a story in the book um, that I've been reading, S.C. Gwen's book, that uh, they took a cap- a captive, um, which we'll talk about in a later episode, Kiwana Parker's uh, aunt, 
Kawana Parker is the last great chief of the Comanche, and his mom was a white settler, and she was captured by Comanche and later integrated into the tribe. But the Comanche also took her sister, Rebecca, and Rebecca talks about how her her baby was what, seven weeks old or something like that, and it was making too much noise. Uh, it was whining a lot, crying out, because it's the baby. And the Comanche men walked in, and they're like, nope. And she tried to fight them, but she was overpowered. And they took them, and they tried to they killed the baby. Let's just put it at that. They killed the baby. The baby was torn to pieces. Um, they tied it to the back of a horse and drug it around. And, um, you know, it's... It's t- you know it's tough to talk about, but th- that was life on the frontier when the Comanches back then. Okay. Uh, men were killed outright, like I said. Torture of captives was common. So even if you were, say, you were a lady and they took you, and they didn't kill you, you're definitely going to get uh, sexually assaulted brutally, and they're going to torture you if they didn't kill you right away. They might not kill you though. They might just beat you up. And make they would definitely make you do all of the hard labor, like all the work. Like it would be ridiculous. You would work to the bone. From the Empire of the Summer Moon, page forty-three, the author writes: To them, Anglo, and we're talking about Anglo-European settlers, the Comanches were thugs and killers, devoid of ordinary decency, sympathy, or mercy. Not only did they inflict horrific suffering, but from all evidence, they enjoyed it. This was perhaps the worst part. And certainly the most frightening part. Making people scream in pain was interesting and rewarding for them. Just as it is interesting and rewarding for young boys in modern day America to torture frogs or pull legs off of grasshoppers. End quote. First of all, I didn't do any of that torturing of frogs (laughs) and pulling legs off of grasshoppers. But I can understand what he's talking about. So what he's saying is the Comanches looked at that as almost interesting, like intriguing, like they were playing with a with with a with a toy, like an insect, like that didn't really matter. You know how you're a kid and you like you would go to ant hills and you would take like a magnifying glass and use the sunlight to like make fire and burn the ant and you would watch it burn? Is that kind of sick? Or you would like, you know, throw rocks at like a frog, a slow-moving animal or something. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. You know, stomp on on earthworms for no... You know, stuff you know couldn't defend itself and that if you could just leave it alone, you could. The, the, the Comanches looked at torture like that. Like, they're like, hmm, this is interesting. Let me try this cut. Let me try that cut. And they would be amused by it. And it it's impossible for us to understand, but... Hey, we don't need to understand it. It's just a fact. Another account shows the brutal nature of native warfare on the frontier. So this is the situation. I'm about to read from the book itself. A group of Comanche attacked some uh, Tonkawa Indians in their camp. They had killed some of them and run off the rest. The Comanches found some meat cooking on the fire. So they raid a camp. They kill... Tonkawas, and they run off the rest of them. The rest of them flee. And they found some meat cooking. Guess what it ended up to be? It ended up to be a leg of a Comanche. The 
Tonkawas were known to be cannibals. They were notorious for eating other humans. And they were preparing a feast with the Comanche. This sent the Comanches wild into a wild rage of vengeance. They wanted revenge. They pursued the Tanakwas who had survived the initial attack and were victorious, right? So they won the attack. So they pursued the guys they had just beat. They ran away. The Comanches were pissed that they were cooking one of their fellow Comanches' body to eat. They chased them. They cornered them. They killed them. They lost eight warriors and 40 wounded. So that's a lot for them. But they didn't care because they wanted vengeance. They wanted revenge on their hated enemies, the Tonkawas, right? This is what they did to these Tonkawas on page 43. Listen to this. So this excerpt is from a Westerner, a, a, a white uh, male that was incorporated into the Comanche tribe. He was taken as a young boy and as a captive. He was supposed to be ransomed, but he never was. Um, he became a full-fledged Comanche warrior, which is super rare. That's like a, that's like a seeing a white member of the Crips or the Blood. It's like never happened. It's rare. Okay, quote. So they just defeated the Takawas in battle, and these are from the wounded and the dying. So they're approaching the wounded and the dying enemies. Quote, but we heeded not their pleadings. We scalped them, amputated their arms, cut off their legs, cut out their tongues, and threw their mangled bodies and limbs upon their own campfire. Put on some, some more brushwood and piled the living, dying, and dead Takawas on the fire. Some of them were able to flinch and work as worms, and some were able to speak and plead for mercy. We piled them up, put on more wood, and danced around in great glee at what, at, as we saw the grease and blood run from their bodies. And they were delighted to see them swell up and hear the hide pop as it would burst in the fire. <laughs> what? the F so they run these uh, Takawas down that were eating their boy they kill a bunch of them the ones they didn't kill basically what they did was burn them alive they cut off their arms cut out their tongues first well before they burn them alive they, they cut them up into pieces and then they threw them on the fire and watched them burn that's pretty much what happened that is amazingly cruel and cold-hearted like for us as as americans most of us are as westerners sorry for all my uh non-american folks listening we have these ideals of morality good and evil respect for human life and that's okay and that's and there's that's great and that's what makes us us that's what makes us civilized that's what makes us a very advanced society um that's leading the world but the comanches um, they didn't share these beliefs. The, uh, there was no good and evil. It just, they were enemies. And this is what you did to enemies. You killed them and you tortured them as slowly as possible. And you didn't feel anything about it, good or bad. Like if you stepped on an ant right now, say you're walking back into your house from the gym and you step on an ant, are you going to think, oh my God, I killed an ant. 
Oh, it's so horrible. No, right? You're going to keep walking. That's what they thought. And I know I'm comparing human life to insect life, but we, we got to understand that to them, they were, they were, they were just enemies. They're enemies. That's it. Their life meant nothing to them. Their, the life of a buffalo meant more than their enemies. So keep that in mind. Herein lies the problem with the popular American stereotype of the noble and heroic, in harmony with nature, depiction of the native. It is inaccurate. Indians were, in fact, noble, right? They were noble. They did noble things in the defense of their family and their tribe. They were noble in battle. They were noble when you threatened their family. They were noble when you threatened their way of life. They fought heroically. But rape, torture, cruelty, slavery, killing, and brutality was the way of, the, of warfare in those days across the world, not just in America. Europeans looked down on them and say, oh, they're, they're savages. What do you think the Reformation was? What do you think the Inquisition was? The Salem Witch Trials. Hanging, torturing, killing random people that, that were innocent. This is in the history of humanity. It is no different than any other culture has done throughout time. And for some reason, we look down on that type of stuff. And I know it's because modern day we have morality and we have um, Christian you know, ideals or you know, the one God and all that. But for some reason, Native Americans like, were looked down on for doing this type of stuff. They were, they were written about and looked down on by the same people whose ancestors murdered thousands of people during the Inquisitions or during the Reformation, during the, during the Great Revolts and Civil Wars in Europe. It was insane and hypocritical. Okay, some historians like to ignore the brutality of Indian life completely. Others suggest that before the white man, the Indian-on-Indian violence, Indian-on-Indian war... Warfare was civil and bloodless, like a gentleman's game of violent tennis. <laughs> I like how I described that. That was that was well done. A a gentleman's game of violent tennis. So tennis with a little bit of bloodshed. That's what uh, some historians thought of America, Native American life, and Native American warfare before the white man. Before the white man, the natives were gentle, and if they got a paper cut, they would say, "I'm sorry, you have a paper cut. Here's your land." Oh. Uh, that's okay. We'll move to this area. Thank you so much for sharing your land with us. No, it was brutal, man. They hated each other. They want to hack each other into pieces. All right. And they literally did that on multiple occasions. Unfortunately, certain facts are inescapable. Quote, the American Indians were warlike by nature, and they were warlike for centuries before Columbus stumbled upon them. They fought over hunting grounds to be sure. But they also made a good deal of brutal and bloody war that was completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. For example, the Comanches harassed the Apaches, the Apache, long after they were defeated. Right? So the, the, the Comanche ran pretty much before the uh, white settlers came when the Spanish were, were colonizing the area. The Comanches engaged in a brutal, bloody, bru brutal, bloody, and horrible in long war against the Apache they enslaved a lot of their women they killed huge numbers of their warriors or their men and their children and they drove the command the uh, Apache out of New Mexico 
they drove them into Arizona and into Mexico in West Texas, like far West Texas. That's how bad it was. It was so bad that the Apache would beg. They would literally beg the Spanish to help them. Like they would remember when I, um, have you guys seen my post about the Apache scouts? So the U S army, when they were fighting the Comanche, they employed Apache scouts to help them. Apaches were experts at tracking. They knew everything about the Comanche because they had been fighting the Comanche for generations. They freaking hated the Comanche. They hated the Comanche more than the North Koreans hate uh, than the North Korean government hates America. They hated the Comanche more than I don't I don't know. They hated the Comanche more than the Bloods hate the Crips. They hated the Comanche more than New York Yankees fans hate Boston Red Sox fans. <laughs> like way more. Because the Comanche have been killing them for generations. So people say, how can the Apache turn on their own people? Well, that's sad. They sold out to the white man. They betrayed him. They didn't betray anybody. They hated him. The, the Apache didn't see the Comanche as their people. They weren't their people. They're their biddle. They're biddle. They're bitter freaking blood enemies. Blood oaths. Oaths of blood. They has to be repaid. In Native American culture... If you kill and torture our men, we're going to come and kill and torture your men. And to make it even worse, we're going to take your kids captive and sell them into slavery. That's how they fought. Right? You take two horses, we're going to take ten. You kill ten warriors, we're going to kill twenty. You enslave four females, we're going to slave ten females. All right? Ran over. All right, uh, what else we got, man? So the Comanches harassed the Apache long after they were defeated and drove the dro driven from the buffalo hunting grounds. They also ruthlessly pursued and butchered the Tonkawas that we were talking about that ate the Comanche. This type of cold brutality was common, in all caps that I wrote, common to all Native Americans in of the Americas. It was worse in the more civilized agricultural Indian tribes of the East. Believe it or not. So you remember the Iroquois and the people who had these beautiful villages and farming and corn and they helped the, the pilgrims and they ate the Thanksgiving dinner. They were worse. <laughs> they were worse than the freaking Plains Indians at torture. They were like the godfathers of torture. They were far more creative and crueler in devising painful, long and agonizing tortures than the Comanches or Plains Indians could ever dream of. So if you're captured by Iroquois, you might as well just you might as well just kill yourself. Like they're gonna torture you. They're gonna make you wish you were dead. Okay. However, rape or abuse, including maiming of the females of the of a female captive, had only existed in the Eastern tribes uh, in the 17th and 18th century. By the time the 19th century came around, that practice was abandoned completely. So the Eastern tribes did not rape, uh, did not maim women after the uh, 17th century or after the 18th century. So in the 1600s and the 1700s, yes, they did that. But once the 1800s hit, they stopped doing that altogether. They treated women fairly well. They could be scalped or killed, but they could not be raped. Definitely not gang raped. Um, some of the eastern tribes like the Iroquois Federation never treated women brutally never 
Women could be killed and scalped, but not gang raped. It is important to remember that Indians saw nothing wrong with this. In all caps, I wrote, nothing wrong with these acts. The idea of good and evil is a, dis is a distinctly American and a distinctly Western ideal that the Indians could never fathom. If you went back in time and you tried to explain to them what good and evil was, they would look at you like you were crazy. They would be like, you're nuts, dude. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, this had to do with the Comanche's understanding of nature and the universe. Unlike the white settlers that had no, or, uh, unlike the white settlers, I apologize. The Comanche had no organized religion, no unifying higher belief system that tied humanity together. Nothing like a singular God. None of that existed to the Comanche. They didn't understand any of that. They had no organized religion, no central deity. No kind of like bonds of kinhood with with other people that shared their religion because they didn't have a religion. All right, so they couldn't like so the Comanche couldn't attack a white settlement, and the settlers were like, "Please, we're Christians," and the Comanche would be like, "Oh, we're Christians too. Oh, we believe in the same thing. We 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 just feel so bad we can't attack you." None of that existed in the Comanche's mind. Right? They didn't know what you're talking about when you're trying to convert them to Christianity. They didn't believe in that stuff. So they didn't, they didn't feel like they shared anything in common with you. All right. The central thrust of their quote-unquote religion, if there was one, if you can call it that, they had no religion, right, was to find a way to harness the spirits that are all around them. In the Comanche world, in the Comanche worldview, the world was alive with magic and spirits. There were, spirit, there were spirits everywhere, and there was magic everywhere. And the best way... To be successful, the best way to prosper is to learn how to harness that magic and to harness those spirits to work for you. All right. Power was called pua or medicine. There was no dogma. There were no priests. Thus, there's no systematic religion. There are no views of the world as anything but a set of isolated incidents with no deeper meaning. There was no ultimate good and evil. Just actions and their consequences. Enemies were enemies. No more, no less. Enemies were enemies. The rules for dealing with enemies have been passed down over thousands of years. From grandfather to father. From father to son. For hundreds, for thousands of years. It was as, it was as natural as breathing. As natural as getting up and walking. A Comanche brave that captured a live Ute, for example, would torture him to death without question. Non-negotiable. Automatic. Not going to happen. Like, like, they're not getting out alive. That's for sure. All right. This was a tradition. Everyone had done it. Since memory, since the oldest person in the tribe could remember, this had always been the way. There was no shame in it. There's no shame in torturing him. None. A Comanche captured alive by a Ute or an Apache could expect to receive similar treatment. Indians always fought to their last breath, to the death, on the battlefield, to the amazement, to the astonishment of Americans and Europeans. They never surrendered, ever. You would never see a group of Indians surrender. They fought to the death. Either they fought to the death or they tried to escape and they died trying to flee. But they definitely didn't surrender. They did not throw up their arms in surrender.
because if they surrendered in their culture to their um, enemies, they would be either killed on the spot and scalped or brought back to the camp and tortured until they died, pretty much. Indians also believed in blood vengeance. Quote, the life of the warrior tortured to death would be paid for with another torture killing, if possible. If possible, preferably even more hideous than the first. We're going to leave it with that. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a brief introduction of what Indian warfare was like, how the Comanches mastered the horse, what some of their tactics were and their traditions, kind of a little bit of an insight, a peek into their mind when it comes to their worldview, to their religion, quote-unquote religion, also how they fought, all right? Um, I can go. I can talk about this all. I can write 10 books about it, but we only got an hour. God bless you guys. Stay safe. Stay on the lookout for the next podcast. Ape. Ape.